Support the show by donating at themusicbuds.com. Thank you. everybody welcome back to the music buds podcast this is episode number 25 and my name is henry this week i'm honored to be joined by composer rich vreeland also known as disaster piece who has worked on the films it follows under the silver lake netflix's triple frontier as well as having worked in video games television and theater uh rich uh, it means so much for you to be taking the time i've really have cherished your work for a long time and so thank you for being here yeah it's my pleasure thanks for having me yeah of course uh well how's life these days for you life's pretty good um i've been uh, uh in north carolina visiting with my family uh for the month of november normally i'm in los angeles so uh just felt like it was a good uh it would have been it would be nice to uh to get out of los angeles for a little bit and just yeah. uh, chill slow down a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm on the countryside right now Oh, nice. And uh, hopefully this internet will uh, will maintain our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess the first question is, how did you get started in music? Because I feel like, especially with composing for you know video games, music, uh, or uh, excuse me, video games and and film, I feel like there are a lot of different avenues to which that could begin. For sure. Yeah, my path is sort of strange and specific, but uh, starting early, like. I grew up in a uh, musical family, but for me, I was primarily interested in design, graphic design and drawing and visual art. That was sort of my primary interest for uh, the beginning of my, you know, the beginning of my life, got into web design, stuff like that. And uh, that was sort of my trajectory. That's, that's what I went to college for. But uh, I got into music late. I got into music in high school. Um, I started playing guitar, taking lessons started writing music. And so when I was away at college studying graphic design, I was still, you know, I was writing music more and more as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of got to this weird situation at my college where um, I decided to go into this major that was a bachelor of science, uh, bachelor of science, not a bachelor of arts. And so suddenly I saw the trajectory of the, the curriculum going in this very different direction that I didn't want to go in. Sure. Uh, so, uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't really switch or get out of it. So it, it was sort of an opportunity for me to basically drop out and get a do over. So yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Well, now I, I do want to get to like, uh, some of your film work, but before that you had worked on uh, a lot of video games and you c continue to do so. And so like the games like, um, Fez, the, the puzzle platform game and Hyperlight drifter, I mean, the list goes on and on. What is it like? doing music for that kind of game? Does it kind of create a, like a nonlinear kind of way of composing music? Like, is it, is it an interesting medium to, to do music for? Yeah, it's very intellectually, it's very challenging. It's hard. It's, it's especially hard if you don't have a clear sense of what the overarching structure of the game is or the narrative, if that's still kind of in flux, um, there's only so much that you can effectively do. I find that I work best when I have a really clear sense of that. So on a project like Fez, the, for the most part, the, the structure of the game, the, the way the levels are laid out, the way that you move between the spaces, that was all kind of set as far as well as the, 
the flow of the experience was more or less set. So I had a pretty clear sense of that. And that goes a long way in like thinking on a macro level about how all these disparate elements of music are all going to work together. And for me, as I think writing music for games, that's an extremely important part. I mean, it's, it's important in movies too, but in games because they tend to be these nonlinear experiences and things may or may not be heard in different, in different orders or, you know, for different lengths of time. They're just, they're just a lot of considerations that go into it that you wouldn't see in another, another medium. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was definitely initially work done, like say on Hyperlight Drifter, where the, the structure of that took a long time to come together. That made it difficult to work on. Fortunately, we, 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 even though the, like the locations and how you move about the world wasn't set for a while, we at least knew what the core mechanics of the game were fairly early. Mm-hmm. And so, and the aesthetic was set pretty early too. So I had a lot to work off of as far as getting the general sense of it, but, but it did take a lot of time to figure out, okay, now how, you know, how is this going to be experienced over the course of the entire game? How am I going to weave all, all of this music together? Like what's going to make it like, what's going to glue it together essentially. Mm-hmm. With that being said, do you like, do you see footage of the game before doing the music or is it like sometimes like a, like a film where you might get a script and you can start coming up with ideas? Like uh, was what you were just talking about, is that like you seeing stuff on screen or is that more just you see like concept art and, and discussions? It's, it's the actual game as it's being built. So when I first started working on games, I wasn't, my, my level of involvement was a little bit more detached hmm. in certain sort of environments that can be the case where, you know, you're brought in to just create music assets, like write this piece and then just deliver it to them. Sure. And so you, you may be somewhat removed from the development process. I found that to be, I found that to hinder my ability to work effectively. And it, it also, had the downside of sometimes you'd write something for a specific level or specific situation, the game would come out and then that music would be in the the wrong place or they had decided to move it somewhere (laughs) else. And I was just not privy to that. Right. So pretty early on, I felt like, okay, I want to be as embedded in this process as I can be. So for me, that meant, uh, you know, however the developers were, were iterating on this project, I wanted to be a part of that process. And so for most game development, it's using some kind of version control software where the you know the the project is stored in a central repository that everybody can access, check out individual files to change and then submit them and then there's just like a record of all the things that have been changed and oh, every wow. day you can go and you can just get the most recent version of the game and this way also I could you know feel empowered to you know implement the music and sounds in some cases on my own you know, with, with help, obviously, especially in the beginning at this point now, I'm pretty, pretty familiar with the technology and know how to do stuff. But uh, in the beginning, I didn't really know what I was doing and I needed, I needed a lot of guidance, but, but all of that went a long way in, in helping me to not, not feel like I'm blocked or hindered by, you know, being sort of removed from the process of the game being made. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I, I did not know any of the, any of that process. So that, that's a pretty cool thing to to think about. And now, did that, uh, in terms of becoming more involved, uh, for lack of a better term, did that change when you got to It Follows? How did that project come about, I guess, just to start with? 
Yeah, I think I can answer your, your first question. I mean, it's for a long time, I've been working on games almost exclusively. And so I had built up this, you know, process of working and this expectation that I wanted to be as deeply embedded in the project as I could be so that I had all the tools and un- all the information I needed to be successful. And then it was only when I got to that point that I could start saying, okay, this is something I don't want to spend too much time on and I can start removing elements of it that are maybe overwhelming or unnecessary. So it follows as my first feature, my first, my first feature film project. I'd done some linear media before that, but it was mostly like, you know, a, a car- little cartoon or like a short film or something like that. So, you know, for me, it was an education and I wanted to be embedded. Um, I wasn't completely embedded. Like I, you know, there were, there were things that I didn't get, I didn't get around to until uh, subsequent projects, like on, on the Silver Lake, I actually got to go to go on set and really sort of see how things happen. Okay. Also, when it follows, it was like kind of a, it was run in sort of an unorthodox manner. So it, it sort of created, it created certain expectations in me about the way that films are made that ended up being more of a one-off experience and not more of an exception than a rule. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that all being said, the process, I've found that the process on movies that works best for me is having a really strong, close relationship with the director, where we're, maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be close, like, in a friendship sense, but just that we're, we're in, like, we're in regular contact with each other, and I, I know where they stand on the work that I'm doing, and I know where I stand. Right. Uh, in the context of everything. And, and that often means sending, you know, sharing music that I'm writing for different scenes and stuff, and then getting, you know, getting notes and feedback pretty quickly and, and having conversations about it. Because when you're, when you're talking about it, other things come up and it really helps. I mean, because in some ways, like being a composer on a film, you're kind of like a, kind of like a psychologist. Like you kind of have to right. understand <laughs> the director so having those conversations is really goes a long way and, and starting to kind of understand the psyche of the person that you're working with, the person who is kind of, you have to, you know, you're funneling your choices through. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure to, to pass on to you. So like, uh, I mean, of course, I, I love all your work, but with It Follows, I think that took so many people by like complete surprise and I wanted to, to tell you that whenever those movies have been talked about, like the Silver Lake and, and It Follows, your music always comes up. People, like that's something that whenever those movies are discussed, people are like, oh, the score is so good. And I and it still is now, you know, we'll bring up those movies and we always talk about your music. So I just wanted to make sure you knew how much we <laughs> appreciated it. Awesome. Yeah, I do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we had no idea like that It Follows was going to be successful in the way that it was. I mean, it was David's second movie. It was my first movie that I'd ever done. I mean, you know, I was just happy to be part of that process because I'd never been a part of it before. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, I remember you having mentioned in the past that you said you valued science or excuse me, not science, t- total brain fart there. You value. I mean, I do value science, but I don't remember saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, me, me, me too. I value science as well. I should get that out there. <laughs> um, you valued silence in, in, Oh, uh, silence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> is that, do you, is that still true? Is that still an important part of how you go about certain projects? Yeah, for sure. I mean, silence is, 
it's a huge part of music. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the most important elements. I mean, if you, if you kind of break it down to the core elements of music, I mean, silence has got to be a big chunk of that. Yeah. yeah I think uh, in my own experiences, I think this came a lot from playing games. I, I started to notice independent games that use silence. It, it's just kind of evoked a certain feeling in me that I wasn't used to because traditionally most video games either had no music or, you know, repetitive music that never goes away that slowly drives you insane. Right. Um, so when I started, <laughs> when I started to see these games coming out, you know, where the music was treated in a different way, you know, music that, that comes in subtly and leaves subtly gives you space having, having space, you know, it, it just, it, it, it makes when the music is actually there, it, it just makes the music more impactful. Uh, you notice it more and you appreciate it more because you're not fatigued by it. So, I mean, all of that was really inspiring to me seeing that in games. The game that I think of is this, this independent game called knit stories that, uh, yeah, that was, that one definitely comes to mind. So that definitely like inspired me when I was working on Fez and Hyperlight Drifter. I think in, in there as well, but the, the sort of creative process that I've worked under on movies has been a little bit more paint by the numbers. It's been a little more templated and structured, you know, usually working, using, using temp music as, as a way of communicating with the director. Um, so, you know, having, having really strong structural cues from the creative team about how the music should function and then leaving the details to me. Yeah. And I, I remember like having had discussions in the past where people will say um, something like music should almost be the same as editing where the best kind is that you don't is the ones that you don't notice, which I think in some ways is true because like you were just saying some music that can go along very subtly with, whether it be games or movies can work really well. But then also I think there are scores that you should notice and are great because of it. Like, and I think your, your music speaks to that, like under the silver Lake, which is like one of the, the coolest movies. And that score is so intertwined in that, that story. Cause it's this huge world and it's so, it goes to so many different places and locations and characters was doing that movie a fairly ambitious task. Yeah, you could, yeah, that would be an understatement. It was, uh, <laughs> it was probably the hardest project I've ever done. Mm. Um, I spent about a year and a half on that project and it was my first time writing for orchestra. And I didn't really have any idea how to do that. I did a little bit of like production with samples and stuff. And so that's kind of where I started. And then David, the director, had a relationship with a, with an orchestral composer who had, he'd worked on, on his first movie and he connected us. And I, I, his name is Kyle Newmaster and I relied on him a lot to, he basically became the score producer and he helped me navigate that whole landscape and work with players and arrangements, arrangement and, and uh, parts preparation and all the kind of, all the technical kind of stuff that goes into working with an orchestra. There's something yeah. else that you said, but I can't, I can't remember what it was. I, I guess like, because that that movie is so mysterious and it has so many different threads, like plot lines. Was that yeah. a kind of an, an exciting opportunity to have so many different possibilities? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I remember now that you, you were talking about like music being kind of in the forefront oh, versus right. like yeah, music yeah. not being Thank noticed. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think it really depends. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I think for sound design that I hear that a lot for sound design. I think it, I think it rings true for, to me, it rings true maybe a little bit more for sound design just because there are times when some, something you don't notice it because you're not maybe as a, as an audience member, you're, you're either you take it for granted or you're not trained to, to, to listen for it, or it just feels like it's part of the world and it feels real or it feels tactile. It feels, you know, it feels like it's just a part of it. And that, that can be a good thing. I think with music, um, if you, yeah, if, if you don't notice it, yeah, it's true that it can be performing some kind of function, but from the artistic perspective, like I don't ever want to write music that's not noticed. Like to me, that's sure. a waste of time. Like just have a have a have an artificial intelligence write that music. Like why yeah. why should humans be doing that? So <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's a great point. Yeah. So, but but I mean, like kind of piggybacking off of that and thinking about under the Silver Lake, you know, and it follows like like the the style between like between David the director and Julio the editor and Mike Mike Jalakis the uh, the director of photography, like their style, like it, it, it creates, they have this particular style working together that leaves all this space for music. Um, and so as a composer, it's, it's like kind of a dream come true to have that much of a canvas to paint with and to kind of be put in this position to, to be asked to have the score basically be another character in the movie, like a main character. Um, and that's, that's like, you, I mean, that's not always the case. Oftentimes it's not the case at all. So, uh, it's really nice to be able to do that and, and it makes the movie better. And, and especially in these genre movies, it, it, it absolutely makes the movie better because, you know, you, you're really just empowering the composer to fill in the, fill in certain blanks and to like better underline certain things and to just carry the message of the movie more strongly by not like hiding the music away where nobody can pay attention to it. That's like a big pet peeve of mine. You know, mm -hmm. when someone did some fantastic music for a movie, but you, you can't, you can't hear it or they, <laughs> you know, they're not, they're, they're not uh, willing to like really go for it and push, push that music when it's a musical moment. Like if there's some, you know, like wide shot of like landscape or something like, you know, that's probably a musical moment if there's music. <laughs> so, sure. yeah, I mean, yeah, I've seen lots of different sort of, you know, scenarios like that where things don't always, don't always go in a way that could, could probably benefit the film. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a great point because like, you know, I think with anybody thinking back to like, you know, their favorite movie scores or, or video game scores, it's like, you don't think of the ones you barely noticed, you know, you think of, you know, you, you think of it fall something like it follows or under the silver lake. And so I, that's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Now uh, you also did last year, you did triple frontier with uh, JC Chandor. What, how did, how did that project come about? I, I think it was the editor who was a fan of my music and they were, when they were looking for a composer because JC's, uh, JC's uh, normal cla uh, collaborator uh, decided they didn't want to work on the film. And it was a very different kind of project for me. It was a big studio movie. It was an action movie. So there was some novelty there that, that I was 
you know, peaked by a little bit. Um, it was a very challenging project for reasons that are different than almost any other project I've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that had to do with the scale of the, of the production, you know, that it, it made it so that there were just a lot of cooks in, you know, there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, maybe not creatively all the time, but, um, there were just a lot of layers of abstraction between me and, you know, decisions sometimes. And that didn't always make it easy to work effectively or to understand, you know, my standing uh, amidst things. So, you know, there was a political element to that that definitely made the work more taxing and more stressful. It was also working with a team that was across the country. So, you know, I was in LA and they were all in New York and that also had its had some challenges. It was a different, creatively, it was a different way of working. JC works with a music editor uh, and I had never worked that way before. Hmm. So it had different, it required different things of me. And sometimes it required more of me and other times it required less. Uh, And it wasn't always, it didn't always shake out in the ways that I felt like were the most conducive to me personally, how I, how I feel like I work best. Sure. With kind of looking back at, at all your your works, are you someone who enjoys listening to or being uh, first getting into music, listening to composers, whether it be movies, you know, video games, whatever? Are you someone who takes from that, or is it more so other parts of music? Yeah, I think it's probably more other parts of music for me. Although I do, I have had, but it's pretty much all video game composers. And I would say it's mostly Yasunori Mitsuda, mm. who did the Chrono Cross Chrono Trigger games, and Koji Kondo, who did all the, you know, all the mainline Nintendo games of the 80s and 90s, or most of them. Uh, and then, you know, like Metroid, stuff like that. So there's a lot of, ins- yeah, I had a lot of inspiration there, but that's just, a, that would be like a chunk of it. And then, and then probably the bigger chunk of it would just be contemporary music mm-hmm. of different kinds, um, lots of rock and metal jazz and classical music too so different a different kind of composer i suppose yeah yeah. Uh, but then you know there were like there were like there there are soundtrack composers in there too like marcone and then people that i've wasn't super familiar with because i was not really i was never like a film nerd or even a soundtrack nerd really so it wasn't until i worked on under the silver lake that i really had any familiarity with bernard herman for instance and like getting into his music was like it was it was like a rite of passage. It was, it was fantastic to kind of, un, to discover this, you know, this amazing composer, uh, after all this time. So yeah, that's how I would say that a lot of it came from just my personal interests in music yeah. and, and being a guitar player for sure too. Yeah. I, and I think when, when I was first getting to into movies and then into to scores, uh, one thing with video games, especially, and it's, I think it's just shown how the, people's mindsets have changed but like when I first started playing video games I didn't really think about the music at all but then having right you know uh got it gotten older and gotten back and listened to those games it's amazing you know there's so much great music in there you know like yeah. the ones you've talked about as well as all these uh more modern franchises and like there's a whole world of like masterful music that I feel like not enough people touch on you know and i it's a world that you can just kind of escape into and discover so many interesting sounds i also think that as far as like mediums go 
uh, outside of music by itself. I think games does games do more than maybe any other medium to really develop relationships between the music and the the audience just because of the sheer amount of time that people spend with the music. Like it really just, you know, and it's experiential because you're, it's a memory of you doing something. It's not a memory of you watching a movie or, you know, it's not a passive memory. It's an active memory for the most part. So that has a different quality to it. And I think that's why there's such a strong link between, between music and games. Uh, And there's, there's a really, you know, people, people really gravitate to, to that stuff. It's, they, they look at, they look at it in a way that's different than, than other mediums, I would say. Yeah. Well, uh, Rich, I I love talking to you. Is there anything else uh, perhaps about some of the projects that we've touched on or, or anything else about your work that you'd like to bring up that I I just don't want to leave anything unsaid. It's okay. If, if not, if we've, there's nothing specific that comes to mind. uh, Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. And, Rich, I mean, uh, thank you so much for, again, thank you for taking the time. I really enjoy your music and, and uh, you know, I will continue to enjoy it. And I just look forward to see what you're doing next. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I think that is about it for the show. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Music Buds. Check out themusicbuds.com. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we'll see you next time.